Good afternoon and welcome to week 18 of our study for the summer, which has been the gospel according to Jesus. Uh, today will be the last Sunday, I mean the last uh, lesson that we have in, the, in that particular series. Next week I'm going to start a new series that will be on Acts and we will have about uh, 20, sun, uh, 20 lessons in that series. So that should take us comfortably into January, uh, hopefully. Uh, and prayerfully, we hope that between now and then, we will go back to having a regular Sunday school class uh, where we can get coffee and donuts as well as having uh, fellowship with the, the rest of the folks. And so we look forward to that. But next week, I will be talking about introducing the, the book of Acts and exactly what we're going to be looking at. Uh, it'll be essentially a verse-by-verse study of Acts, uh, talking about witnessing to the world. Uh, so I look forward to that, and I hope that you will too. Before I go ahead and get started today, let me open with prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for uh, the opportunity that we have to, to come in this virtual way to, uh, to have a Sunday school. Uh, Father, for those who are uh, tuned in, we, just, we pray that uh, all is well with them. Uh, we pray that you would bless this class today. Uh, that you would give us the, the things to say and uh, that will be edifying to those who have tuned in to listen. And so we ask that you would bless this time together, uh, to, certainly to your glory and, and, and to uh, uh, all of those who might be tuned in today. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, today is going to be, as I said before, it's the last uh, class that we're going to have, and it is sort of a, a, um, the last pitch for what's called, or what we have been calling, Lordship Salvation. Uh, as I, as we, when we first started this, we talked about uh, Lordship Salvation, uh, which is, happens to be a, a bee in the bonnet of many Christians today, uh, because there has been, since probably the late 1980s, a movement in the church which is called No Lordship Salvation. Uh, and of course, we have, uh, the, the material that I've been trying to present uh, originates in John MacArthur's book, Lordship Salvation. So uh, uh, obviously, it is, it is, uh, he had a particular perspective that he felt moved in, to talk about. And that's what we've been essentially doing for the last 18 weeks. Today is going to be the last of those classes. And it's just sort of put a cap on this thing called Lordship of Christ. All right, let's start. The Lordship of Christ. There's a, uh, as I was looking this week, I did, I've, I, gosh, I've, I've read lots of articles uh, from different magazines over the past uh, uh, weeks and even months now about this uh, no lordship and what people are saying and what people are maintaining with regard to no lordship. I would imagine that most of the people that are listening today or will be listening to this particular class probably want to know what, or, or probably have asked themselves on numerous occasions, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, is that uh, there are a body of people who believe that it's not necessary after you make a profession of faith, it's not necessary to do anything else, that you are saved eternally, your salvation is secure. And whether you ever hit a lick for Christ again is beside the point. Uh, and so what we're going to do today is, first of all, start off by looking at uh, uh, several verses, certainly not an exhaustive list of, of Scripture, but several verses which speak to that. The first one is going to be from Acts 2, 36. In Acts 2, 36, 
The verse reads, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now being Lord carries with it some implication about what lordship means. And of course it means that the, Lord of, uh, the lordship of Christ is that He is Lord. And we, we owe fealty, not only fealty, but we owe obedience to whatever He has commanded us to do. We have an obligation to do that. Because we profess Him as being Lord, we are supposed to obey Him as Lord. The second verse that I wanted to read is, comes from Romans 14, 9. Romans 14, 9. I'm going to read 7 and 8 too because I love those two verses. For it says, in, in verse 7 it says, For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Or we are the Lord's. And in verse 9, For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. And the last one that I wanted to read comes from Philippians 2, the 11th chapter. I mean the 11th verse, 2nd chapter, the 11th verse. And we're going to come back here a couple more times during this, this session. But the 11th verse says, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So those are just two of, of probably a uh, hundred verses that speak to the Lordship of Christ. Uh, actually more than a hundred. There's several hundred verses. There's a, uh, a thing that I wanted to briefly touch on, and it's not to make a big case about this, but as, I, as you see on my chart, I says what we think in our heart makes a difference about how we live our life. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a proverb, actually, that, that says what we think in our heart so that we, you know, so we are kind of thing. But it, the context of that verse doesn't fit the context of what I'm going to talk about here, so I'm, I didn't want to quote that particular verse in Proverbs. But what we think in our heart, we, we use all kinds of words like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to make Christ my Lord or I'm, I'm, I'm accepting Him as my Savior or I'm receiving Him as my Savior or I'm trusting in Him as my Savior. We, there's a lot of that I'm stuff that's going on there uh, where, where I think in, in, in many cases people forget about who's in charge and it's not us. We're not in charge. We don't do the making. We don't do the accepting. We don't do the receiving. We don't do the trusting in the way in which it usually is meant. And most of the time when people say that, and at one time in our Sunday school class, uh, quite a while back, uh, we did have a rather spirited discussion because I, I would imagine that most of us, because of our demographic, we grew up in a time when that was the accepted way of relating to that conversion experience. I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. I've accepted the Lord as my Lord. I, I've, I've made a decision for Christ. I'm accepting Him or I'm making Him Lord of my life or I'm receiving Him as my Lord and Savior which a lot of that is, is, is taking that where it's a part of our will that we're doing these things. We've, we've looked at the evidence and we've made a decision and that's what we're going to do. And it's become a part of our doing. And the fact is, is that most of you who, who know the scriptures know that we had no part in it. We have no part in that. It's the Spirit of God who does that in us, uh, not us. It's nothing that we can claim uh, as credit, credit for in terms of uh, our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, in terms of being convicted and being drawn to Him. Another thing here, I wanted to, I wanted to look at a, uh, a 
when we, when we use these things, another thing that it does to us, it gives us, uh, for people who have that idea of that it's, it's part of who I am, that's, it's part of my decision process, and I've done it. And they want to take ownership of that relationship that they have. And oftentimes, that gives them a false sense of eternal security. There, there are many people who say, you know, I, I, I accepted Christ when I was a teenager, or I accepted Him when I went through the, the uh, uh, catechism class, or, or I received Him as my Savior at an evangelistic crusade. Uh, again, and, and generally, when they say that, uh, one of the things that they're trying to do is est- establish their bona fides, if you will, in terms of who they are as a Christian. I did that, I made that decision, so now I'm eternally secure. Notwithstanding the fact that probably they've done very little in the interim period of time, and that may have been 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 60 years ago, whatever it might be, and they've done nothing really significant in terms of being obedient to their Lord and Savior. They've, ex- they've professed Him as Lord and Savior, but they've not done anything to make Him there. One of the things that's, that's true about our faith is that, that, that our creator, our manufacturer, if you will, doesn't give a buy now, pay later option. You buy now and you pay now. Meaning if you accept Him as your Lord and Savior, there is the obligation of immediately, as we talked about several weeks ago, this thing called justification. We make a profession of faith. That profession of faith causes us to become justified and once we become justified, the part of that justification is also the accompanying sanctification process that goes along with it. You can't have one without the other. You can't have sanctification without justification, and you certainly can't be justified if you don't intend to be sanctified, meaning that you're going to, to fulfill your obligation of, of Christ as your Lord. You're going to be obedient. You're going to do and follow uh, what He has in, in store for, him, for you as far as your life is concerned. You're going to seek to know what that is, and you're going to be proactive in that. This, this thing called so-called lordship salvation. Uh, there's a, a, a guy by the name of Rich Wager. Rich Wager wrote an article, this back in 1987, when the, which was really the, the, the start of this whole thing. And believe it or not, started down in Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas. This no lordship thing. And, and Rich Wager was one of the original, uh, I, I guess, proponents of this. Wrote an article which appeared in uh, um, Confident Living magazine. It was a church-related magazine. I don't know if the thing is still in publication or not. But here's what he said. He said, It is imperative to trust Christ as your personal Savior and be born again. But this is only the first of the decisions that you must make. Acknowledging Jesus as Lord is made by believers. The decision to trust Christ as Savior and then make Him Lord are two separate and distinct decisions. The first is made by non-believers, the second only by believers. The two decisions may be close or distant in time, but salvation must always precede lordship. It is possible but miserable to be saved without ever making Christ Lord of your life. Now, there's, that's uh, certainly John Mac, uh, MacArthur doesn't believe that, and, and most Christians don't believe that. Uh, I, I would think a lot of Christians who are hedging their bet and think that you can get a buy now and pay later option as far as that purchase uh, want to believe that. 
But certainly the scripture does not support that particular view. It's a dangerous equivocation. Who says that you can believe but you don't have to do. When the, when the word of, of God tells us again and again and again. That when, once we believe the do is automatically. Not only are we given the ability but we're also given the volition. We're given that encouragement. We're given that will to want to do. Not the will to not want to do. And so if, if, you, if you know someone uh, that is, who professes to be a Christian, but yet has no will whatsoever to do anything for the cause of Christ, uh, there's, a, there's an awfully good chance, and I'm certainly not anybody's judge, but there's an awfully good chance that that is not a, a sincere uh, uh, profession of faith, if you will. But what, these, what the no lordship people are saying is that you must be a believer to acknowledge Him, but to trust and obey you don't have to do that. That's, that's just an option if you really want to be. It's, it's sort of a, if you want to supercharge your, your profession of faith, you might want to obey. But th- that's just not uh, what the Bible tells us that we must do. Is when we profess and we say that He is Lord, then we must allow Him to be Lord, meaning that we must obey. And we talked about last week, one of the scriptures that we have is Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go ye therefore into the world, baptizing and making disciples, teaching them to obey. I think that most of us, you know, intuitively, we think, you know, salvation has no meaning unless uh, the person who grants that salvation, who, who, who has done what is necessary to, to save us, unless he has the authority to do so. So salvation has no meaning unless Jesus is God. And of course, the Bible tells us in, in a number of places that he is God. We, we can go to John 1.1. Uh, and, and look there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God. He is the Word. Jesus is sovereign. Matthew 12, 8. If we go to Matthew 12, in the 8th uh, verse, this is Jesus Himself speaking. He says, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And of course the Sabbath is, is the holy day. It is the day of the law. And, and so his, the law says that He is in fact God. Jesus is our sovereign, if you will. He is, he is Lord of the Sabbath. So He is sovereign God. Jesus is Savior. Philippians 2, that we, we, we went there and read verse 11 before. Go back and read the uh, uh, verses 9 through 11. And 9, he says, Therefore God also has hi- had highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue will confess or should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So not only is he God, not only is he sovereign, he is also Savior and of course Jesus is Lord, uh, the New Testament mentions that Jesus is Lord 747 times. In Acts alone, it's mentioned Jesus is Lord 92 times. Uh, and we're going to read every one of those 92 times when we study Acts. But, it, but these, are, these are unequivocally establishes Jesus' authority to grant salvation, which we would expect anybody who's going to grant us eternal life 
to be able to say that that person is not only is he God, he's sovereign, he's Savior, he's Lord. Of course, the, the signature of saving faith is surrender. 1 Corinthians verse did I have? 12.3. I thought that's what it was. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there, there is a... When I got that verse this week and was, was wanting to use that, one of the things that went through my mind was somebody was going to say that, that uh, how can someone say that they... If someone says that, they, that Jesus is Lord, uh, making a profession of faith, how can they say that and then say somebody contend that perhaps that confession is not true or that it doesn't hold weight or it's not sincere? Because here it says that, that nobody can say it except by the Holy Spirit. Well, we, it's one of those verses where you have to entertain the entire counsel of God before you can take a, a verse out of context and say, well, there must be some contradiction. No, there's not. Uh, of course, what, what the verse intends here is that if we say that Jesus is Lord, we're saying that sincerely. And if we're saying it sincerely, we're saying it by the power of the, the Spirit, which means the Spirit must be in us. Now, that doesn't mean that, of course, we know that demons recognize Jesus as being Lord. We know that, that certainly there were scribes and Pharisees who were not sincere believers uh, who said that Jesus was Lord. Uh, there were many people that throughout the New Testament testimony of Jesus and his ministry who contended that, well, yes, he's, he's Lord. But at the same time, their contentions were not true contentions. And Jesus recognized that as he went about and, and uh, he, he, he tried to dis, you know, disabuse people of their false professions, if you will. So the signature of saving faith is a surrender, 1 Corinthians 12, is that we have to allow him to be Lord of our life, meaning that we want to obey what he has commanded us to do. And finally, Jesus is Lord over all. Again, first. Uh, going back to Philippians 2, we look at the, the 12th verse there. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always observed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So not only is, is he Lord of all of us, the entire world, you know, every tongue will, will confess. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he's Lord. Does that make everybody a believer? No, it does not. But it makes them, it makes them acknowledge uh, who he is. They will acknowledge, just, just as even New Testament times, they acknowledged who he was. The demons acknowledged him. But they certainly were not uh, believers uh, uh, in, in terms of being a wanting to be a part of the body of Christ. But here in these these ninth through the twelfth verse and the ninth through twelve, and then the twelfth saying that that uh, um, we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, uh, and of course I'm I'm sure that there are many people who wonder what, well why would I need to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, well many times over these past few weeks as we've talked about uh, ourselves. And our sanctification, we certainly talked about it as a part of the, 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 the piece that we did on justification, is that uh, we need to constantly, as the scripture tells us, 
constantly be looking at ourselves in, in, in terms of our willingness to obey what call, God has called us to do in Christ Jesus. Uh, I think we all intuitively know what we ought to be doing, but sometimes we, we're not very faithful in doing that. And so what, this, what 1 Corinthians tells us to do, as well as other verses that we've looked at, is that we need to be constantly evaluating our obedience to Christ in the things that we do, how we live, so that we, we can, uh, as, as the scripture says, in fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Because again, the signature of saving faith is total surrender. Not partial surrender, but total surrender. I was, I was laughing at this, this uh, uh, reading another piece about Rich Wager, the, the uh, uh, no-lordship proponent who wrote the little article I read from earlier. Uh, one of the things that he was contending was is that, you know, that where John Calvin had his five solos, uh, you know, talking about grace and faith and, and uh, scripture and, and those kinds of things. The, the no-lordship have their five uh, solos too, if you will. Or no, they're not solo. I, I, I was trying to remember what the Latin word for partial is, and I could not remember. I remember the, uh, for small, the Latin word for small is mentis, uh, but I, I could not remember what partial means. But what they were, the, the, the no lordship people think that in, in all of these things that Calvin was talking about, there's that only God, God alone, God alone, Christ alone. Uh, those were the things that uh, th- there was no other exceptions. There wasn't any partial. It was Him and Him alone. It was Scripture alone, faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone. But in, in Wager's article, as you continue reading, he talks about uh, they're not solo. They're, they're sort of partial. He's, he's partial. It's partial grace. Christ affords us partial grace. Uh, the Scripture affords us partial truth. Uh, those kinds of things. So, but it, it was kind of funny. Uh, it was, a, it was a, a terrible argument that he was making, but he was trying to make it anyway. But Christ is Lord over all. He is Savior only to those who are obedient to His authority. Another writer that I wanted to read a piece from that uh, to close this morning it comes from A.W. Tozer. I've, we've done Sunday school classes from A.W. Tozer works before. But he was talking about you know, the gospel of Jesus is nothing like the gospel that, that many people try to represent it as being today. Uh, as Tozer said, it, Jesus Christ is, is, is Lord and Savior, and He demands that those who would receive Him take Him for who He is. He says, to urge men and women to believe that there is a divided Christ is bad teaching, for no one can receive half of Christ, or a third of Christ, or a quarter of Christ. We are not saved by believing in an office or in a work. Any message that presents a Savior who is less than Lord of all cannot claim to be the gospel according to Jesus. He is Lord and those who refuse Him as Lord cannot use Him as Savior. And everyone who receives Him must surrender to His authority for to say we receive Christ when in fact we reject His right to reign over us is utter absurdity. It is a futile attempt to hold on to sin with one hand and take Jesus with the other. What kind of a salvation is it if we're left in bondage to sin? And on that note, uh, I will finish up. That, that concludes the, the, uh, the summer series about the Lordship of Christ. He is Lord. 
He's Lord of my life. He's Lord of your life. And uh, I, I pray and, and that you are as challenged as I am every day to try to assess, uh, objectively obsess, uh, or, or obsess, not obsess. Well, it takes some degree of obsession uh, to, to do that also, is to objectively assess each day uh, how faithfully we are in trying to do and be obedient to the call of Christ on our individual and collective lives. Let me close with prayer. Gracious Father, again, we thank you for the truth of your word. We know that it stands alone as the authoritative uh, voice uh, from you uh, through your prophets and other writers who have brought us your words. And Father, we know that there is no error in it. And so we, we know that, uh, that you have left it for us as a general revelation of, of your truth. And so we, we, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would continue to uh, impress upon us the need to stay in your word. And so we pray too, Father, that your spirit will be with us. And so as we look at your word, it reveals to us those things that we need to know. Uh, not necessarily the things that we want to know, but the things that we need to know for the time and place that we're in so that we can live according to your call upon our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.